So somebody tell me what book we're supposed to turn to. Yeah, see, look at that. Didn't even have to look at the notes. Romans 12. Acts, Romans. All right. How many books in the Bible? Only 66. What does the word Bible mean? Book. All right. All right. Romans 12. Continuing on a year of looking at transformation in so many different ways. Just incredible foundational truth to really what we're about. From day one of knowing Jesus till we go home to see Jesus. We're in transformation, right? So Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and read those together and then we'll pray. Ready, begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. And as we have been looking at transformation last week, we saw that uh, transformation is good because You are good. And your will is good. And Father, over the last several weeks, we have specifically been asking and looking at biblical answers as to if transformation is so good and wonderful, why, why do we struggle so much? And we know ultimately, Lord, that it's an issue of the heart, an issue of surrender. And I pray that today, as we continue to understand transformation as it applies to each one of us directly, specifically. Lord, that uh, in Your love and in Your truth, Lord, You would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would be hearers and doers, that we would receive what it is we need to receive and then make a choice, make a decision to act upon Your truth. Father, we thank You. We yield, submit to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Be the counselor, be the teacher. We thank You for Your Word. For it is truth, and by it we are sanctified, set apart, made holy. And all God's people said, Amen. So, transformation, metamorphosis, right? It's about metamorphosis, which is a lifelong process. Another word is sanctification. If you were here at the beginning of the year, we would bring down a slide and we would say, transformation is the caterpillar becoming a what? Butterfly, right? And we saw that it wasn't just two pictures, that there were stages of metamorphosis, right? And God's desire is for us to be transformed, to experience supernatural, literal metamorphosis, to become more and more like Jesus, more and more conformed to His Son. So that's a process, and we go through seasons and stages, right? And we get that. Now, what would happen... Let's say if you caught a little caterpillar, put it in a little box, right? I think, Robert, you did this, right? And, and you watched them every day and you fed them and everything. And then suddenly, right, you see him. Oh, he's making a little cocoon, right? And he makes a cocoon. And you're like, oh, I got to watch this. This is what they said in church, right? I, I know what's going to happen. And let's say you're watching it and, and things happen. But then suddenly you notice 
A day goes by and nothing seems to be happening anymore. And another day goes by. Nothing seems to be happening anymore. Third day goes by. Now you're like tapping on the box. Hey, Mr. Caterpillar. What's going on in there? Right? Because in this process of metamorphosis, you expect progress. You know there's a goal and you would expect to see some sense of continual change, right? The fact that you notice that nothing's changing after a period of time would be a cause probably of concern and alarm. Like, hmm, hope he's okay. What happened? Everything seems right. And now it's gone. Quiet. It's just nothing. Right? And, and we would probably have this sense of, hey, Mr. Caterpillar, you okay? Need help? Right? And, and I was thinking of that in terms of our own sanctification, our own metamorphosis, our own journey towards being Christ-like. Have we stopped? Are, are we sort of, have, have, you know, God's done some things in your life or when you first got to know Him and you made some wonderful changes, all celebrating. Going to Mexico, still celebrating. Transformation, still happening. People serving. Thank you, Swallows family. Serving, right? People change. That's celebrating. But, but in your life, has there been a time where maybe you're there where you're like, how come I don't see anything? What happened? Everything seems to have gone quiet. Right? And, and we've been talking about transformation is progressive. It is uh, till we leave the planet. But sometimes we ask, why do we feel like there's a disconnect? Why do we feel like we're stuck? Why do we feel like we're kind of in quicksand, right? And we've been looking at that the last few weeks together. And if you haven't had a chance, I encourage you to listen online, get the notes. If you'd like, we can give you copies. Today, we're going to look at transformation in the book of Hebrews because the author of Hebrews, in writing to the church that he's writing to, right, believers who had left Judaism and are kind of going through some struggles in their faith, he notices something. He notices that they kind of got stuck. They kind of stopped somewhere. And here's the crazy thing. He kind of calls them out. He calls them out on it. And he says, hey, guys, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. Right? Turn with me real quick to 2 Timothy. I just want to set the stage for, for where we're going to go so you understand the context and the heart of it. Right? So, 2 Timothy 3, 16. And 17 verses that are foundational to us as a church, us as believers, right? Second Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, "All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training for righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." So, how many? Based on those verses, the Bible is a good thing. Amen. The Bible is profitable, right? Ultimately, for our transformation, right? 
But look what it says. It's good for teaching. Everyone say, Amen. Teaching. That's what we're getting right now. Okay, everyone say, Rebuking. Amen. Correcting. Amen. See, we like the teaching and the training part, right? Rebuking and correcting. How many of you woke up this morning and said, Lord, I am so looking forward to going to church because I'm going to ask you to rebuke me. I am so looking forward to being rebuked and corrected today. Have at it, Lord. Right? Okay. We, we can't have selective hearing here. It's the whole enchilada. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. The Bible is good for all of it because God is good and He gives it for our good. Right? In fact, the Bible said God disciplines those He. It's all in love. It's in love. And so this morning I share that with you foundationally because when we look at correction and rebuke being brought to a bunch of believers in the book of Hebrews, it can be a little uncomfortable. I'm not even going to candy coat it. it. I've been challenged with this. I've been challenged with this, right? So turn to Hebrews 5. Right? Hebrews 5. While you're turning there, I'll just read Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So ultimately, transformation is an issue of the heart. Right? In fact, one person says the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Proverbs 4 says, Hey, everything in your life, everything in my life, flows out of the condition of our heart. So if we're struggling in transformation, we have to go all the way back to our heart. Most of us, when we're struggling as a Christian, we try to fix behavior, behavior modification. We try to fix our behavior, a bunch of do's and don'ts, and we're not changing the heart. Change the heart, it'll manifest itself out there, right? So in Hebrews 5, what's happening is he's talking, the author's writing to a bunch of believers, a group of believers, actually mixed, not so sure they're all saved, but they're struggling. Those who are professing to be Christians are struggling right now. They're being persecuted. They're kind of struggling in their faith. And in fact, some of them, many of them, are thinking of going back to Judaism. So he's writing to some Christians who are going through some stuff right now, thinking of going back to their old ways. Some of us in Christian is walking with Jesus. Sometimes, you know, things aren't going well. And you're like, man, before I came to know Jesus, things seemed a lot easier. Why don't I just go back? Right? So it's kind of there's this struggle at the heart level going on. There's this struggle at the heart level going on. And in Hebrews 5, he begins to talk about Jesus. And he says, Jesus is this great high priest. And, and among the order of Melchizedek. And he starts going deeper in, in explaining these deep truths about Jesus and high priest and Melchizedek. Right? And he's getting into it and he's getting good. And then it's like a movie where he goes, ah! You ever watch those movies where everything comes to a grinding halt? And, you know, and my keys are there. And Jesus is And he stops. He's right in the middle, right about to go into the deeper things of God. The deep theology of Jesus as our high priest. He's about to go real deep, right? Real deep. We all want to go deep, right? And he goes, eh. time out. Puts the brakes on. Emergency break. And then look at verse 11. This is where we start. So that's the context time. It says this. We have much to say about this. Jesus being high priest. Melchizedek. The deeper thing. Right? 
We have much to say about this. But it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We're going to look at this passage over the next few weeks. We're just going to focus on 11 and 12. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. He calls time out. He says, you know what? And Jesus, Mekizedek, ah! You know what, guys? I can't go on. I can't go there with you right now. Like, what are you talking about? Well, here's the deal. A lot of you been coming to church. A lot of you have been professing believers for a long time, but truth is, you're still in spiritual diapers. That's what he's saying. He says, look at, here, here's, it says, in fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. He's just being honest. He says, hey, guys, I know how long you've been professing to follow Jesus. I know how long you've been at church. By this time, you ought. There's an expectation. There's an expectation of growth and maturity. Right? Cindy, do you train people at your work? When you get a new hire, you train them. How long is the training process usually? Average. About a week. Someone gets hired at her work, so they say, Cindy, can you train her? A week. After a week, is there an expectation? There's an expectation that after a week, I'm going to wean you off of me, and you ought to be able to do this. Right? Now, if that trainee kept coming back to you and say, Cindy, where's the water pitchers? You'd be like, "Uh, I showed you that on day one. They're all over there, right? And if this trainee kept coming back to you for the basics, after a period of time, you'd say, yo, time out. Time out. There's a problem, trainee. I'm training you with the expectation that you grow and mature in your job so that you can do it. That's kind of what he's saying here. He's like, hey, by this time, believers... You ought, and in fact, he says, you ought to be teachers. See, when I look at at this body, and I know how long that many of you have been walking with the Lord, you ought to be teachers. Now, I'm not talking sitting right here. I'm talking about teaching in terms of discipling someone, coming along someone, being engaged in someone's life as a discipler, because what's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. Who is he talking to? Careful. Who is he talking to? Us. If he, who, is, who is Jesus talking to? Go and make disciples. Who is he talking to? The church. The church. Not the pastors alone. The church. 
Yeah, he says, look at, look at verse 12. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. Kind of like he's saying, guys, you've been walking with Jesus for how many decades, but you've got to go to VBS again? You've got to go to VBS? Tina, why did you sign up for VBS this past summer? I saw you sitting in there. What are you doing? Right? I mean, it, he, he's, he's kind of lovingly calling them out, bringing correction, bringing rebuke. Hey, guys, hey, guys, time out. I can't go there about the deeper things of the faith, the truth, because you're stuck. There's a problem. You ought to be further along. And, and it, it, it's kind of interesting. Look at the word picture he says there. You need milk, not solid food. Right? How awkward. Come here, Diana. Come here. Bill, come here. Vinny, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. There you go. You get it. I'd like to teach you some deeper things, but you're still on the bottle. <laughs> you're still on the bottle. Bill, buddy, how many years has it been? You're still on the bottle. Then you just graduated from high school. Why are you asking for the binky bottle again, you know? You know, I'm not tucking you in anymore, bud, you know? And Diana. Diana, Diana, Diana. You know? Is, is this odd? Yeah. Is, that, is, this, is this an odd picture? Yeah. Right? Right? Knowing what you know about how long they, how spiritual this group is, and how long they've been with Jesus, and, and you know, he teaches Wednesdays, and she leads women's Bible study, and he's a PK, pastor's kid. They should know it and have it all together. But Hebrews 5, 12 says, you know what? You're still on the pinky bottle. You still need milk, right? As opposed to, here it is. Oh, the donut. Solid food. I know, it's about as solid as we get around here on a Sunday. Solid food. He's, he's kind of like, okay, guys, come on, come on, come on. I want to teach you more. I love you. I want to help you in your transformation. I want you to know the deeper things of faith to help you. But you're still on the binky bottle. You should be over here on the solid food. Thanks, guys. You can keep it if you want. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, they're all getting rid of them real quick. <laughs> no one wants the binky bottle. All right. So there's a problem. And he says, hey, you ought to be, but you're still on the bottle. God disciplines those he loves. Are you where you ought to be? Am I where I ought to be? Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me clarify this. We just said that sanctification is a lifetime process, okay? In fact, Paul in Romans 7 says, Oh, woe is me! The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I'm supposed to do, I don't. Okay, so in, 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 in the broad sense, sanctification is a lifetime process, so we're never going to be completely perfect like Jesus. Okay, so in one sense, we're all in transformation, Amen. Alright, turn to the person next to you and say, God's not done with me yet. Okay? God's not done with me yet. So we're not talking about we're not talking about a load of legalistic perfection. That is not what we're talking about. We understand it's progressive, okay? 
What we are talking about, and let's go back to verse 11, he says there's a specific reason that you're stuck. There's a specific reason you're not where you're supposed to be. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Look in your notes there. I put other, other translations so you can get the gist of it, more specific. Here's the diagnosis of why they're not where they ought to be. The New King James says, you have become dull of hearing. The New Living Translation says, you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Now that word dullness, I'm just going to read the definition here because it just kind of speaks for itself. This is, this is the biblical definition of that Greek word. No push. That's what it really means. No push. There's no drive in spiritual life. You're slow. You're sluggish. Numbed. It's a very powerful word. Stupid. Lazy, slothful, you're in a spiritual stupor, spiritual laziness, spiritual lethargy. This does not in any way, this is not inferring their mental incompetence, mental disability, mental defect. It's not that they can't comprehend. This has nothing to do with their innate intellectual ability. What this has everything to do is choice that they're making. They are in this condition by their choice. So they're being spiritually lazy. They're spiritual sluggards. They're spiritual sloths. They're being slothful, right? There's no drive spiritually. There's no push. It's just... Right? We just landed somewhere... And I've called it at the beginning of the year. You're just now, as a Christian, your goal is to be good and moral. Good and happy. Instead of godly and holy, you're good and happy. And you become dull of hearing. And he lovingly says, Hey, I'd love, to, I'd love to help you. I'd love to keep teaching you. I'd love to keep nurturing you and shepherding in your transformation. But guys, there's a problem. You have stepped on the brakes. You are dull of hearing. There's no longer a drive, no longer a push for the spiritual things anymore. It's just blah. Blah, 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 blah. You even come to Wednesday, you go to men's group, you go to Bible studies, you go to precepts, you go to conferences, you watch TV, and all it is is just more information accumulation. You've become dull of hearing. You've become dull of hearing. And, and that's, a, that's a real big check for us because we all celebrate how many... Okay, here we go again. Survey says, every week I do this, how many of you want to be transformed? We all do. We should. It should be a great joy. It should be a privilege. It should be enthusiastic. Every day you wake up and say, Lord, thank you for another 24 hours of transformation. If I were to ask you to describe in one word your Christian walk with Jesus... Would you use the word transformed or struggle? Very powerful. Hey, how are you doing with Jesus? Ah, oh, man, I'm just being transformed day to day. Don't have it all together, but I'm being transformed. Hey, man, how are you doing with Jesus? Oh, it's a struggle. This is struggle. This is struggle. Right? Very powerful. Very powerful, your choice of words. Are you being transformed or are you just 
struggle. Now, we do struggle against powers and principalities. There is a struggle. But most of the time when we say I'm struggling, it's because I'm focused on myself and relying on myself. That's why I'm struggling. So in your walk, are you where you ought to be? Are you where you ought to be? Have you become dull of hearing? Are you spiritually lazy? Am I spiritually lazy? Do I, okay, let me make you my face. Do I just study scripture because I need a sermon every Sunday? See, I can become real spiritual lazy and hide it behind my role as a pastor. But you would never know it because I would come up here and teach and do my job and you think, man, he's real spiritual. I don't even crack my Bible. Okay, I do. Don't take that literally, but, right? I don't have to. I could be I could be incredibly spiritual lazy and preach a sermon. We could be very busy at Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. We could be very busy. We can go to that building over there, get really busy, real excited, but be extremely spiritually lazy. And then we get all excited and when, uh, when all the, the hoopla and all the excitement of the new church building dies down, we find out that we're not where we ought to be. We're not where we ought to be. Right? So if you see in your notes there, right? Dullness occurs over time. He's saying, hey, it's a process. At one time, you couldn't wait to get up and get in the Word. Amen? Anyone? You couldn't, get in, you couldn't wait to get in the Word. You couldn't wait to have prayer time. You couldn't wait to worship. You couldn't wait to get to church. And slowly, slowly, slowly over time, we saw it in the other, in other verses in 3.13 and 2.1, he became spiritually hardened. Spiritual hardening over the arteries. Or you started to drift started to drift. And suddenly, it's just, you become dull of hearing. There's no life. There's no enthusiasm. There's no enthusiasm. Right? I shared this with you before. Who should be the most enthusiastic people on this planet? Christians. Why? Because of the word enthusiasm. En theos. In God. Who's that referred to? In Christ, right? Us, believers. We are in Christ. We are the body of Christ. Heaven is our home. We have the Holy Spirit. Mind of Christ. Who should be the most enthusiastic people on this planet? We should. What are we just dull of hearing? Is it just another Sunday sermon? Is it just another, just another, just another, right? And this is, this is honestly, this is something I can just share with you and ask and pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart about where you ought to be. Where you ought to be. Right? It says, look at, look at verse uh, 14. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That word trained is gymnasium. Timothy says, Timothy says exercise yourself unto godliness. If we want to keep making progress, if you want to be where you ought to be, here's the, here's the thing, guys. It takes work. It takes a decision, and then it takes a commitment, then it takes daily work, training, gymnasium. You've got to do it. You've got to practice it. What does James say? Don't just be hearers, be doers. And here's the thing, guys. That's why we're here. We're here. When you make a decision... Even out of confession and repentance, say, oh my gosh, really? Now I get it. Wow. 
I've just become dull. In youth ministry, the biggest challenge for us wasn't the unchurched kids. I love working with unchurched kids because church was all new to them. Youth group was all new to them. Hume Lake was all new to them. What my biggest challenge was, was the church kids. Been there, done that, youth guy. Heard that illustration in seventh grade. Been to Hume Lake since I was two. It's the been there, done that crowd that is really hard in pastoral ministry. And before I used to beat myself up and go, man, how am I going to make this? How am I going to get them to get this? I need a new illustration. We need to go to not Hume Lake. We need to go somewhere else, right? And you start twisting all yourself up and you realize, wait a sec, they're just dull of hearing. I'm not the problem. It's their heart. They don't want it. They become so jaded, so numb to the things of God, the things of the church, that they just sit back with the Starbucks. That was funny, huh? That was a good one. And we just sit back because little, little by little, over time, we become dull of hearing. Lazy, just, right? So what do we do? What do we do? If you look on your notes on the back, it's a heart issue. You're going to have to take the necessary time before the Lord at the throne of grace to be honest and truthful about where you are, where you ought to be. Probably the most challenging question for me and for all of us is to be come to the throne of grace where we receive grace and mercy and say, Father, am I where I ought to be? Father, Am I dull of hearing? Have I become spiritually lazy? Slothful? Father, why don't I have any push, any drive for spiritual things? That's the starting point. Is come to the throne of grace and be real with your heart before the Father. Because He knows where you are already. He really does. Are you where you ought to be? Are you where you ought to be? Right? In Revelation, we'll close with this. Turn to Revelation 2. Revelation 2. Church at Ephesus. Revelation 2, 2. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. There's a church that does church really well. Very orthodox in their beliefs. Do church really well. But they're becoming dull of hearing because their heart no longer loves the Lord like it should. They do a lot. And if you visited that church, you would like the church. Their statement of faith is right on. 
but God says it's your heart. Hey guys, you're becoming dull, you're drifting, you're hardening because you emphasize the doing of church over loving me. Over loving me, right? And then look at, go to chapter 3, right? Laodicea. Another church. Revelation 3.14. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You hear the heart of love? It's like, hey, church at Laodicea, you just like that little church in Ojai. You're real comfortable, materially comfortable. You got it all together. And what happened in this church of Laodicea, they were in a very prosperous city, a very commercial, commercially prosperous trading city. And that commercial wealth, that physical wealth, that material wealth lulled them to spiritual dullness, to lukewarmness. And he says, hey guys, I love it. It says right there, verse 19, those whom I, what? Love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You know what the word repent is? Change. If you're going this way and somehow God's speaking to your heart that we're, you're not where you ought to be this morning and you realize that, okay, you got me. I'm, I'm dull. It's dullness of hearing. It's not dullness of teaching. It's dullness of hearing. Okay? If that's you, just turn. Confess it and repent, which means go 180 this way. And begin one step at a time work it out. Gymnasium. But it begins with a choice. It begins with a choice. If you're here, maybe you're not where you ought to be because you really don't have a relationship with Jesus. May have grown up in the church. May be very well versed in how we do church in America. Maybe the issue is a salvation issue. Maybe you're not where you ought to be. In fact, the, the, the audience in the Hebrews, when he was writing to them, they weren't sure that he was writing to all Christians. There was a mixture. And for some of them, their first step was a step of repentance and giving their life to Jesus. Salvation. Just being saved. That might be why in your mind you're not where you ought to be because you never took the first step spiritually which is to receive salvation by grace through faith. Amen? Let's pray together and then Bill's come up and lead us to um, communion. Father, thank You that You love us and in Your love You discipline and rebuke and correct us. Thank You for that. And Lord, we understand that sanctification is lifelong. And yet, in Hebrews, there was a group of people that had become dull of hearing.
of their own choice. Numb to the things of God, spiritually lazy. And that had caused their transformation, their spiritual growth to come to a halt. So Father, I pray as we prepare for communion and worship time, that this would be a time of worship, but also a time where we would allow you to be lovingly honest and lovingly truthful to us. Are we where we ought to be? Have we become spiritually dull? Are we even truly a part of the family of God? Have we received salvation by grace? First Corinthians, we're told that Jesus had gathered his boys together and gave them some instruction, and that instruction was for us as well. And he told them, as he had bread and he had wine, and the instruction was very clear. He told them that that the bread was his body that was going to be broken for them. And of course, we now know that it was broken for us. And then when Jesus was on that cross, you see, when He was there and He was taking on the sin of the whole world, He was thinking of you and and me. And He was speaking to us as believers. He told us to... He told us to take the bread when it was broken and to give thanks and he told us to do this in remembrance of him he also said that that the cup symbolically was going to represent his shed blood that blood that he shed for you and for me individually and personally and he did that for all that would come to faith in him by grace. Nothing that we had to do. Willingly. Nevertheless, he said to his father, I'll, I'll go. You see, he knew what was going to happen on the cross. And he knew that we'd be sitting here today making decisions today. That's, a, that's an awesome reality that we have this sovereign God that knows. He knows our every need. And communion is for believers. And we're instructed biblically to just take the time to just kind of get right with God. Not perfect with God. We can't do that. But we can get right with Him. A right heart. In preparation to take this communion meal, it's called communion sharing or participating. It's, you'll, you'll hear, and sometimes it's called the Eucharist, which is, which is really nothing more than giving thanks. That's what the Eucharist is. Thanking the Lord for what He has done for us personally. That is profound. Amen? What He did for us personally. The Lord's Supper really is just an ordinance in the church. It's an expression for believers of the faith that we have put in Christ. See, he is the object of our faith. 
the critical thing this morning, I think, really is to ask the question. What a powerful message this morning because you see it's true. Not comfortable, right? But true. I love that about Scripture. I'm confronted regularly with the truth. Then it's what we do with it that matters. My prayer this morning is, is that we would take the time before the cups are distributed. Just take a deep breath. And the way each of us knows how, whether we've been walking with the Lord for a really long time, or maybe, as was said from the pulpit this morning, maybe we've been coming to church for an awfully long time, and maybe even we're sitting in here going, wait a minute, have I really just settled that issue? Because if you've settled the issue and you've come to Christ and you've put your faith in Christ, then take the cups. And if you haven't, don't. It's okay. But settle the issue first. Settle that issue of coming to faith in Christ and own that. Make it yours. Because you see, that's, that's what he said. He says, this is my body which is for you. Take it and do it in remembrance of me. This is my shed blood that I did for you. I thought of you when I was on that cross. Take this in remembrance because you know he knew that we would forget. He knew that. He knew that. So we have to exercise. And we have to train ourselves up. This is part of that. So believers, take the cups. That's what communion is for. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you're not a believer, why would you take the cup? What would be the point? Jesus was speaking to a mixed crowd in Hebrews and he was giving them some explanation. He was teaching them. Rebuking, yes, he was rebuking. That's okay. I need to be rebuked from time to time. I'm sure you do too. But this is a time of communion, participating with Christ, you see. So if you are in Christ, take the cups. Please take the cups. And celebrate. Celebrate that we have the opportunity to remember Christ. And His atoning death on the cross for us. That is awesome. Otherwise, why be here? Why be here? But we are here. And He knows. I think we need to look up I think we need to look inward to examine ourselves before the cups come this morning. And I think that we need to look forward, forward to Jesus coming. Right? Because we're not of this place. We're here. That's not where we're going. Jesus came to have relationship with us while we're here until we leave Him for an eternity. Many things to think about this morning. So do that. Examine yourself before the Lord. If you have not come to Christ, or if you're not sure, settle that. We can do it simply this morning. Just do it. Just do it. Because Jesus just wants all of us. And then He wants to transform us. And then then He wants to transform us. The cups are going to be distributed. And when they're distributed, take that time to hold the cups and understand what communion is. And once the cups have been distributed, 
Let's all take communion together after we have really gone to the Lord individually and listened to the communion song that it penetrates. We'll take communion together.